0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 9. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: You know that throughout John's Gospel, Jesus has been consistently met with unbelief. We saw unbelief in Nicodemus. Jesus said, you must be born again. We saw unbelief in the Samaritan woman. We saw the unbelief of the nobleman from Cana who came to Jesus. And Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. We saw the unbelief of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus said, do you want to be made well? And the man started arguing with Jesus. We saw unbelief. Are you listening? When Jesus fed the multitude with two fish and five loaves of bread, we saw willful, truth-projecting unbelief in the self-centered, hypocritical Jewish leaders. John chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus said, how can you believe when you receive honor from men? In other words, you are so busy chatting it up with each other You can't believe anybody, and nobody can tell you anything. Now listen, there are basically two kinds of unbelief, and I want you to write this down. There are basically two kinds of unbelief. First of all, there's the unbelief that says, I don't have the facts. I haven't heard the truth. I'm willing to believe if I can see the truth, if God reveals it. And then there's the unbelief that is willful, truth-rejecting unbelief. This kind of belief won't believe in the face of truth. This kind of belief says, I don't want the truth. This kind of belief says, I'll reject the truth even if it comes with evidence. This kind of belief says, don't bother me with the facts. I reject evidence. And this is the kind of unbelief we see here in chapter 9. Now, if you've been with us in John, you know, especially chapter 9, you know, We covered the last time, not last week. By the way, Pastor Jim did a wonderful job last week. Did he not? Yes, he did. And so not last week as I was in California, but the week prior, we covered verses 1 through 12. And you can pick up the CD if you missed, but we're going to pick up in verse 13 and go through verse 34. And you got a pen? I'm going to give you five characteristics of willful unbelief. Five characteristics of unbelief. Write these down. Number one, unbelief sets false standards in verses 13 through 16. And then write, don't write the word unbelief, just write, once more evidence. Unbelief, wants more evidence. Unbelief does bias research. So write unbelief once and then put sets false standards. Wants more evidence. Does bias research. Rejects the truth. Verse 24 through 28. Is egocentric. Verse 29 through 34. Unbelief. Sets false standards. Unbelief. Wants more evidence. Unbelief. Does bias research. Unbelief. Rejects the facts. Unbelief is egocentric. We'll look at that. That's our teaching this morning. I've titled this sermon, Believing is Seeing. John chapter 9, saints, I need to get there myself, hold on. John chapter 9, and we pick up in verse 13. If you're looking at verse 13, I need you to say a hearty amen. amen. And then they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened eyes. And then the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and what, saints, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, what do you say, saints? He is a prophet. But the Jews, look at verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blinded and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received the sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him. He can speak for himself. I see y'all. His parents said these things because what, saints? They fear the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, that he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so again, they called the man who was born blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He he answered and said in verse 25, look at verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, somebody read it with me. Now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? They act like Jesus put him under a spell or something. You know what I mean? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them and said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a miraculous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the, world, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin. And you are teaching us. And they cast him out. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. John chapter 9, I want you to go ahead and look at verse 1, if you will. Look at verse 1. It tells us that Jesus saw the man. The word saw, if you're taking notes, means to gaze intently. Jesus gazed intently upon a man, a grown man. This man has never seen anything. He's never seen his parents. He's never seen his wife. Maybe he had children. He's never seen the sun, the moon, the stars, the flowers, Jesus saw this man who was a beggar in the temple and he took clay and he spit, mixed clay and spit and put it in the man's eyes and told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Were you with me last time? And the man obeyed and received his sight. And verse 14 tells us it was the Sabbath. So the man is coming back, probably running and seeing stuff he's never seen. Look at verse 8. It tells us the neighbors, people who knew him, were shocked. Some didn't believe it was him. Look at verse 10. They asked, how were your eyes opened? And the man doesn't go into any big theological explanation. The man said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said, go wash. I did. I could see. They asked. Look at verse 12. You looking at verse 12? Look at verse 12. They asked, what they say? Where is he? And he said, what? I don't know. Point number one, unbelief sets false standards. Look at verse 13. They brought the blind man to the Pharisees and the trouble begins. The Pharisees were the legalists. They adhered to the laws of Moses and they added a bunch of laws. As a matter of fact, they added and added and added until they built up a legalistic system that was actually bondage and burden. In Matthew 23, 4, Jesus said this, Talking about the Pharisees, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one finger. Now, if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know the Talmud is a T A L M U D, Talmud, and it is a book of Jewish writings. And in the Talmud, the Talmud describes seven different types of Pharisees. Six were bad, one was good. They had, first of all, the shoulder Pharisees, and they wore their good deeds on their shoulder for all to see. I don't know how they did that. Maybe they took a little piece of paper or a sticky notepad and wrote down the good deeds, you know, helped the lady cross the parking lot at Walmart. Maybe on here, you know, helped Jerry's kids, gave 10000 They wore their good deeds on their shoulder. I don't know how they did that, but they were called the shoulder Pharisees. And then they had the wait a little while Pharisees, who were uh, always, they, they always, uh, you know, they, they, they would do good deeds, but they would always find a reason to do them later. Y'all know people like that. Some of y'all got people like that in your house right now, don't you? They find reason reasons, clean the kitchen later. Clean up Abram later, help you later. They wait a little while Pharisees. And then they had the bump and stumble Pharisees. And they were so holy. I'm not making this up, this is true. The bump and stumble Pharisees, they were so holy, they wouldn't look upon a woman. So they walked with their heads down and they bumped and stumbled into everything. And then they had the humpback Pharisees. They were so humble that they went around bent over and barely lifting their feet so everyone would see how humble they were. And then they had the always counting Pharisees. They were always counting their good deeds and believed that God was in debt to them for the good deeds they'd done. And then they had the fearful Pharisees. And they did good deeds because they were terrified that God would strike them dead if they did not. And then you had the God-fearing Pharisees. These Pharisees really loved God. And they did good deeds to please God. So not all Pharisees were bad or legalistic. These Pharisees in our text were legalistic, and they pushed their bondage on others. Verse 14 tells us, look at verse 14, it tells us the healing happened on the Sabbath. So they bring this man to the Pharisee on the day after the Sabbath, and obviously the Sabbath is the issue. Their problem is Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. Now again, according to the Talmud, Listen to this. The Talmud has 24 chapters on how to keep the Sabbath day. These were traditions of men, not of God. Uh, There were all kinds of ridiculous ways that you could break the Sabbath. For example, you could put oil and a wick and light the candle on the Sabbath, but you couldn't blow out the fire on the Sabbath. That was working. So you couldn't turn off your lights on the Sabbath. That was working. Even today, there are some Orthodox Jews that have the clapper. You know the clapper, you know, clap on, clap off, you know the clapper. Isn't that that the clapper? Clap on, clap off, and then the lights go on and the lights go off because they would connect them to their electrical systems and put them on a timer because they were trying to keep the law. Keeping the Sabbath meant you couldn't cut your fingernails on the Sabbath. If you had a toothache, you couldn't pull your tooth on the Sabbath. If you had false teeth, you had to take them out on the Sabbath because if they weighed more than a dried fig, that was carrying a burden. If you had a prosthetic leg, that's what I said, oh my goodness. If you had a prosthetic leg, you had to take it off on the Sabbath because you were carrying a burden. Women couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath for fear that they might want to pull a gray hair. Uh, you couldn't wear jewelry on the Sabbath. You couldn't wear weave on the Sabbath. Now, if that was the day, Lord, well, I'll just leave it right there. You couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath. Water might spill out of the tub and you'd have to wipe it up and that would be considered work. You couldn't walk a certain distance, kindle a fire, Cook a meal. People worked hard at not trying to work on the Sabbath. And no wonder Jesus called them heavy burdens, hard to bear, laying on men's shoulders. Now listen, to Jesus, these laws were ridiculous and irrelevant and pointless. Why? Because write it down. Matthew chapter 12, verse 8 tells us, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And to call himself the Lord of the Sabbath was an outrage beyond comprehension. The Lord of the Sabbath was essentially to claim to be God. Remember, it was God himself who ordained the Sabbath in the first place. Genesis chapter 2, after God created everything in six days, on the seventh day, God rested. The Lord of the Sabbath means God is sovereign over the Sabbath and he rules it. Think about it. It was God who took his fiery finger and wrote on the tablets of stone. It was God who said in Exodus 20, 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath and keep it what, saints? Uh, You know it. It was God himself who reiterated the Sabbath in Exodus 31. It was God who repeated the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. It was also God who laid out the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. So listen, the Jewish leaders were stuck on the law of the Sabbath. Jesus was stuck on the law of love. And when he healed on the Sabbath, it struck a blow to the system of works. It struck a blow to the system of self-righteousness and achievement and attainment and and relationship with God through ceremony and rituals. And that's why I believe that John clearly tells us in verse 14, now it was the Sabbath. He wants us to be clear about that. Now look at verse 15. They're asking how he received his sight. Nobody's asking who. They want to know how. Was it kosher? Did it happen the right way? I love this chapter. I love this this guy. Great, plain, simple answer. He says, some guy put some clay in my eyes. I washed and I see. He probably is getting tired of telling them the same thing over and over. Look at verse 16. They said, this man is not of God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a sinner do such signs? And there was a division So they started their investigation by saying he did it on the Sabbath. And if he did it on the Sabbath, he's not of God because God's people don't break the Sabbath. That's a false standard. Watch this. Major premise. All people from God keep the Sabbath. Minor premise. Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath. Conclusion. Jesus isn't from God. That's a false premise. Who set the standards? Not God. They did. The whole thing is backward because you don't judge Jesus. Jesus judges you. You don't set standards on God. God sets standards on you. Somebody say amen. Look at verse 16. Others said, notice it tells us there was a division. Now, every time you see division in the New Testament is a good thing because it means somebody's getting set free from religion. It means somebody is coming to Jesus. So they start out with their false standard. He couldn't be from God because he did it on the Sabbath. And you don't break the Sabbath if you are from God, not unless you are God. Point number two, unbelief wants more evidence. Look at verse 17 and 18. The interesting thing about unbelief is it always wants more evidence. Are you looking at verse 17 and 18? Uh, Unbelief always wants more evidence. It never has enough. It never gets enough. You just keep giving unbelief more evidence and more evidence and it's never enough. It always wants more. The blind man has told them three times what happened. The proof was literally staring them in the face. But listen, willful unbelief always wants more. If someone doesn't want to believe, no amount of evidence can reach them because there's no faith. And without faith, somebody say it with me, it is impossible to please God. So. Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty says this, and he, God said, I will hide my face from them and I will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is what? No faith. That's a powerful, powerful statement. No capacity to have faith. In other words, the option of believing doesn't exist. They're faithless. They have set themselves in a pattern of unbelief and determined that they have not the option of believing. They're groping, trying to investigate a miracle without a capacity to see it or believe it. In verse 17, look in your Bibles. They said to the blind man, what do you say about the man who opened your eyes? Or what is your evaluation used to be blind beggar? And he goes, "Uh, it's pretty obvious. He's a prophet. One sent from God. I love this guy. He's got character, courage, little sarcastic, little curt, you know, man after my own heart. You know what I mean? He's got character and courage. He's not afraid of these guys. Look at verse 28. Fast forward. They reviled him, the Bible says, and they became abusive with this guy. He's not scared of them. He's not intimidated by them. Keep in mind, he's never seen their phylacteries. He's never seen their long flowing robes. He's never seen their holy clothes. Everybody else has seen their holy clothes. You know, they got the long flowing robes and they're swishing around and looking holy and you know, looking like they've been sucking on lemons. And, oh, yes, mm, all love of Jesus. The guy never seen all that. He's not impressed. All of his friends... He's under no peer pressure. All of his friends are beggars. So faith, listen, doesn't just get revealed. Faith gets strengthened. Look at verse 18. It tells us the Jews didn't believe that he had been blind. Will you look at verse 18? Please look at verse 18. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. The Jews didn't believe that he had been blind. He's probably thinking, you guys are as blind as I was. The beggar's probably saying, oy ve these idiots. Matter of fact, I have that written in my, in my margin here. Oy vey, these idiots. I can't take it. He's probably saying, he's probably saying, listen, you're right. You're right. Did y'all read verse 18? They did not believe that he was blind. He's probably like, look, okay, whatever, whatever. You're right. You're right. I've never been blind in my life. Just let me out of here. You guys are crazy. Who makes up this stuff? Who gets up in the morning Who gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I think today I will tell people that I was blind my whole life, but um, some guy who I never seen um, spit on me, and um, now I see, yeah, 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 that's a great story, oh yeah, oh yeah, it'll make people really attracted to you. No, it'll make people go, oh, that's gross. (laughs) Who does that? Nobody does that. The truth, are y'all getting this? The evidence is staring them in the face and they don't believe their brains can't shift out of unbelief gear. They didn't believe that he was blind until they got his parents in verse 18. Imagine that. This man has never seen his parents. This is the first time he's put his mother's voice to his mother's face. He probably saw his mom. He probably said, "Mom, you're pretty. Mom, you're pretty. Not that I didn't think you were pretty when I was blind, but now I see, and you are pretty. You're pretty. Not you. You know, sometimes when you like, you put a voice to a face, and it's not what you think." I was telling him last service. I just can't. I, I can't even go by this without thinking about this. When I first came here in March 23rd, it was March 23rd, 1995. Um, Elvira and I came to North Carolina from California to just look around and see if God was really leading us to, be, to come here. And before getting here, we had talked on the phone with this guy, and I've told you guys, some of you guys may have heard this. I, I was talking to this guy on the phone, and I won't tell you his name, but we, he, they were looking at him and his wife, and another couple were hoping to get a Calvary Chapel here because they knew of Calvary Chapel, Bible Teaching Church. And so that's how I got connected with him. And so we agreed that we would meet at the airport, and so, um, and then he would pick 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 us up at the airport, and, and then show us around. We were going to stay with them for a couple of days, and they were going to show us around, so on and so forth. So you know how when you're at the airport looking for somebody you don't know, and they don't know you, so you're just like looking, like you know, looking for somebody who's looking like you're looking. You can getting, you know, they don't like this here. You're like, hey. and then. Hey. And You're looking for the guy who's looking for you, and he looks over. At me, he looks over at me, and I look over at him, and he and he looks at me, and he goes, he goes, Rodney, and I said, Yeah, man, how you doing? Oh man, I'm so glad to be here. Oh my God, we went on and on and on, and 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 I and I said to him, I, I gave his name, and he looked at me, and he's. And you should have seen the look on his face. I usually equate it to guess who's coming to dinner. All right, he was so shocked. And the re- he was so shocked. He was like looking at me like because he didn't know. Okay. <laughs> so he's looking at me like because see, the guy, he didn't know I was black.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.